A bunch of new upgrades, surprise contenders, and an absolutely iconic circuit. This week, I'm having a chat about the British Grand Prix and about the newly released 2024 F1 calendar. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the steward's office. My name's Syrah, and today we're going to have a chat about all things British Grand Prix and about that new 2024 F1 calendar. So let's start off with that 2024 calendar. We have a record 24 races coming up next season. Now, they did try to do a 24-race calendar for this year, but the Chinese Grand Prix was cancelled, and then Emilia Romana, because of the flooding, also was cancelled, so we're down to 22. So I'm sure the FIA and Liberty Media are really hoping that they can get through the full 24 races next year. It is going to be an extremely long season for all of the drivers and all the staff that work in and around F1. Now, I absolutely adore Formula One. I love watching the races, but 24 races feels like so, so much. And it's not necessarily a number of races I think we really need to have. My concern is we're going to get to a point where it's quantity over quality. That is also on top of the fact that there are F1 workers and not drivers. We're talking about mechanics, people who are doing all the logistics around F1 tracks. They're going to get exhausted. They spend a lot of time away from home, away from friends and family and loved ones. And it's a lot of time to be out on the road. And there is a lot of exhaustion and fatigue that comes along with that. I know there are a couple of the drivers who do think we really are pushing the limit a bit too much with the amount of races. I think 2021 maximum is a good amount to have in a calendar, but I think this many back-to-back races, these triple headers, mistakes can crop in, exhaustion, fatigue for everyone involved in running an F1 race. It can get a little bit concerning. The calendar itself, I don't think there's anything massively different about it compared to what they were planning this year in terms of racetracks nothing brand new coming in we haven't got any new races but there are just a few small sort of logistical changes i would say so bahrain and saudi arabia which are at the beginning of the year the race is actually going to be held on a saturday so everything's being knocked back a day fp1 and 2 will be on a thursday FP3 and quality will be on the friday and then we'll get the race on a saturday now part of that is because Both of those countries will be celebrating the start of Ramadan as well. And in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, the weekend for them is actually on a Friday and a Saturday and not a Sunday. So I think logistically this works out better for them with Ramadan also falling in that month. The other change we've got is Japan then moving to the beginning of the season or closer to the beginning. So we are expecting the Japanese Grand Prix in Suzuka to be in April instead of towards the end of the season. And that's kind of swapped places with Baku in Azerbaijan, and that's gone into September now. So that's changed a little bit. China is back on the calendar for 2024. Like I said, it was on the calendar for 2023, but they still had some rules and restrictions following the pandemic in China this year, which didn't make it easy or possible for the F1 race to be held there in 2023. So I do have my fingers crossed that we get back to the Shanghai International Circuit in 2024. So that is on the calendar after Japan in April. 
But yeah, like I said, other than that, I don't think there are any massive changes. No new races coming onto the calendar. There was definitely the hope we would see Kailami in South Africa back on the calendar. I had a lot of hope for it, but I think a month or so back, we'd hear that talks are kind of broken down there. So I wasn't really expecting it at this point to be on the calendar. But 2025 is the hope that we will see South Africa back on the calendar. That is the state of F1 in 2024. Nothing really groundbreaking, nothing brand new. So we will see what happens next year and just how well this 24 race calendar goes as well. The only thing we haven't had confirmed with this calendar, I think one of the main things are the sprint races. We have six this year, so we've got another four coming up. Nothing's been confirmed for 2024, so it'll be interesting to see if we are going to be holding six, are we going to be holding more, and will we be in the same or different places? So I think over the next few months, we'll probably figure out and iron out what's going on with those. So those are all of my thoughts on the 2024 F1 calendar. Now to head in to the British Grand Prix race weekend. And you know what? This did feel like a fairly tame Grand Prix, especially compared to the last couple of races. We didn't have that much chaos. Thankfully, it was quite nice to have a bit more of a calm race. This was a race, though, that every single team, bar Ferrari, were bringing upgrades to, and that made a lot of sense. A lot of the teams are British-based. The factories are around Silverstone, Aston Martin are in Silverstone. So they weren't having to worry about fright and getting these upgrades to a race. It was a lot easier just to chuck them on the back of a lorry, basically, from where your factory is down to Silverstone. Alfa Romeo said that they had bought in a couple of aero bits, which is what they really needed to work on. Aston Martin were bringing in a couple of parts that were meant to really target the weaknesses that they had in Austria. Mick were just bringing in a front wing. Oscar Piastri was getting some of the upgrades that Lando had when he was in Austria. Alpine were bringing a new front wing in, AlphaTauri were bringing a couple of things into their cars. So, like I said, a lot, a lot of upgrades up and down the grid and all the teams just hoping that these upgrades would give them that all-important lap time. And i got to be honest, FP1, nothing super, super wow or interesting going on. I think the biggest surprise over all the FP sessions was Alex Albon in the Williams. Now, he has been running with a good set of upgrades now, I think, for two or three races and has really worked hard into extracting the most out of those upgrades. And they've seemed like more of a steady midfield car. Before, they were kind of dropping towards the back of the field, but I feel like they were more steady in the midfield, able to compete for points a little bit more. But FP 1, 2 and 3, Alexander Albon had managed to get himself into the top three of the timing sheets. Now, Williams themselves played this down. Alex and James Wells are saying, look, we tend to have issues when it comes to qualifying for us. So a lot of the runs that we're doing in free practice is to target our qualifying pace. So we might be running a lot less fuel than what a lot of the other teams will be. I don't think people paid too much attention to that though I didn't I was on a Williams hype train it is so so nice to see them back up there competing I think James Wells has really breathed new life into that team and I think Alex Alvin is just doing exceptionally well there he's settled well he's leading the team he just seems to have fit in really well into Williams when he stepped into that car over the past year or so so they I think were the biggest surprise of free practice Ferrari had a bit of a nightmare during FP2 on the Friday. 
Charles's car was facing an electrical issue and they had the electrical kit out during that free practice session, but they just could not get that car out. He lost all of his runtime in free practice too on Friday, which was gutting. It means less date for the team, less time on track for Charles, but it was an issue that they just had to fix. There was no getting around it. Carl also was showing that the Ferrari did have good pace, at least during quality. They were doing really well, getting towards the top of the timesheet. So I think at least they knew from Carlos's half in qualifying, they were going to be okay. Qualifying on the Saturday, though, we had a little bit of rain that had come down during FP3, which had obviously made the track wet. But by the time we got to quality, it seemed to have dried up a little bit. And I think most of the drivers were able to commit to getting onto soft tyres. I think it was in that weird crossover stage where your inters were probably going to burn up a little bit, but there wasn't enough grip in the slick tyres. But I think majority of the drivers did commit to going onto the softs and then a few of them tried to do the intermediates. Kevin, Magnussen and Haas just did not have a good qualifying. He had to stop because he had no power in the car, so... That brought a red flag to Q1. There were about three-ish, just over three minutes left during Q1 when that red flag had come out. And there were reports that the rain was going to potentially come down, that the track might get a little bit wet. So I was thinking during that quite a long red flag period, no one's going to improve on their times. This is going to be it now. But quality resumed and thankfully there didn't seem to be a whole lot of water on the track. I don't think it actually rained at all during that red flag. So someone's wet the radar was slightly off. Chaco Perez was already at risk at being eliminated in Q1 pre-red flag. And so Red Bull had sent him out into the pit lane for a good couple of minutes while that red flag was still being waved. So he was just sitting there. There were no tire warmers on his tires. Obviously, they were going to lose temperature a little bit and he was just sat there at the front of the queue. There were two ways they could have gone with this, right? You send him out first in the hopes that he gets a really, really good lap time and doesn't get eliminated. He's the first one out there, so you don't have to worry about anyone else crashing, slipping, yellow flags, red flags, anything like that. If he's the first one out there, the only one that could really cause that red flag is him because he's the only one on a fast lap. You would hope that the guys that are on a warm-up lap wouldn't be causing red or yellow flags. The flip side of the coin there, though, is that one, yep, you're losing tyre temperature and two, track improvement. And the issue he had was that the track was improving continuously behind him. All the drivers that were coming up behind him, or most of the drivers that were coming behind him, were finding more grip on the track, it was getting drier, there was more rubber being laid down, and they were just producing better lap times than him. And even though he had managed to top the timesheets after that time, or get into P2, he just wasn't able to keep it. And so he got eliminated from Q1, and for the fifth race in a row, he didn't make it into Q3. He was going to be starting in P... 15, 16? P16, I think. And Chaka was a driver that had said in the press conference he felt like he had his form back from the beginning of the season. Austria had been a very good race for him, even though traditional quality hadn't gone well. Sprint quality had, the sprint had gone well, and the race had gone well. He'd worked himself up into getting into a podium position. But we come into quality at the British Grand Prix. It's a track that a lot of the drivers know. Whether you're a rookie, you would have done it in the junior formulas anyway. It's been on the calendar for every single year since 1950. So 
he should know this track fairly well and Quali just did not go the way he would have wanted it to or that Red Bull would have wanted it to. I don't know what happens to Checo when it comes to Quali. I don't know whether he just doesn't have that confidence to really throw the car across the track the way he wants it to, not in the way that Max does. He doesn't seem completely at one with the car and that's especially evident when he's having to set those Quali lap times. So it did not look great for him on Saturday, to be honest with you. And I'm sure he is disappointed in what happened there. And I'm sure Red Bull are as well. And we're just going to have to wait and see whether his quality form can get better as the season goes on or whether this is going to be a continuing trend. Because psychologically, that does have to start playing on your mind a little bit. Right at the end of Q1, though, Valtteri Bottas brought out a yellow flag. This is after he managed to set a time to get him into Q2. He had gone off into the gravel. I think he had been asked to stop. I'm not entirely sure what happened there, but he was just sitting there in the gravel in his car. And obviously, because he needed aid then to get back into the pit lane, it meant that he wasn't able to continue on in Q2. Now, we did find out later on that he was disqualified from Quali because the FIA weren't able to get a sufficient fuel sample from him. So there is the chance that it was simply because he had run out of fuel and wasn't able to get back to the pit lane. They were like, you know what, just stop the car. There's no point. You're not going to make it back. We can see fuel levels. It's not looking great. So that was a little bit of a weird one. Most of the drivers were pretty much fueled for the entire Q1 session because they knew there was going to be a lot of track improvement. They didn't want to be coming in and out. So I don't know whether Alfa Romeo were just a bit too hopeful in thinking that they didn't need to refuel during the red flag or didn't refuel enough or whether Valtteri ended up having a bit more fuel consumption than what they were expecting. But that was what happened there with Valtteri. Q2 happened and... The track was starting to dry out a lot more and what you could see was there was a lot of consistency in the McLaren drivers. They were having really good lap times during FP1-3 to anyway, but they were really good and consistent and that was with Lando and Oscar and Oscar who is a rookie. I don't think you were expecting him to be as at ease with these new upgrades as Lando was, but he was still putting in absolutely phenomenal lap times. Lewis seemed a lot more at ease with the car. He'd had a bit of a spin in Q1 and FP1 to FP3. Four Mercedes had not been a happy place for that car. They were struggling, especially on the Friday in FP1 and FP2. It was a lot of hard work. The car didn't seem to want to turn the way they wanted it to, especially that rear end. It was just a bit squirrely for them. But it seemed a lot more in tune. Whatever work had been done by Mick Schumacher in the simulator overnight on Friday and whatever they had done in the engineer's room, in the debrief with George and Lewis, it was paying off. It looked a lot more comfortable for the drivers. Going into Q3 then, there was a slight moment where I think everyone thought it was possible that Max Verstappen was not going to take pole position. And it hasn't really been that often this year that Max hasn't taken pole position. That car, like I've said before, one of the most dominant cars in F1 history. He is so at ease and at one with the car. But Lando Norris set an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal lap time in to give himself provisional pole. And you could hear Silverstone go absolutely mental. As good as those McLaren upgrades seem to be right now, I still don't think they're good enough to be really competing with Red Bull and specifically Max Verstappen. So Max did take pole position and Oscar Piastri in his rookie year in the McLaren took P3. And I think if you have seen or read up on his junior career in F3 and F2, this isn't a mass amount of surprise. 
he has a lot of natural talent, but you can also tell that he works very hard with his engineers and with himself in training to really get to the level of performance that he wants. Ferrari were then starting behind them with Charles and then Carlos in P4 and P5, and then came the Mercedes in P6 and P7. Bit of a difficult time for Mercedes, who Toto Wolff had said their best chance of winning the season was going to be at Silverstone, but it wasn't materialising. That front wing, I don't think, was necessarily giving them the times in quality at least that they wanted. Alex Albon, whilst yes, he didn't end up in the top three like he had in free practice, still ended up in P8 between Lewis and Fernando. So definitely some serious pace in that Williams. But Fernando Alonso starting in P9. That's two races on the trot now where Aston Martin have just not been fighting for P2 or P3 like they have been at the start of the season. Especially with these new upgrades that they had brought with them to Silverstone. I think Lance was saying Austria was a bit hard because of their straight line speed and a few other bits that they were struggling with, with high speed corners and things like that. So I think they were hoping these new upgrades would help them target some of those problems, get them back further up the field. But Quali-wise, it wasn't necessarily materialising for them. And then we got into race day and of course a lot of the British fans were hoping that Lando Norris would pull off some major heroics and get past Max Verstappen, keep the lead and win the British Grand Prix. And he did manage to do that first part right at the start. An extremely amazing start from Lando Norris meant that he did manage to get past Max Verstappen off the line and held that lead for a little bit up until DRS opened, at which point I don't think there was any chance of the Red Bull really staying behind the McLaren. As soon as DRS is enabled, the Red Bull just flies. There's something amazing about their drag reduction system and I'm sure all the teams are scratching their heads about it. But their DRS system, it's like monster DRS. It is so, so powerful. Oscar Piastri, though, had managed to keep his P3 position as well. Charles Leclerc was not able to overtake him. And then we had Lewis Hamilton, who ran off track in turn three, and he went from being in P7 to P9. It was a little bit of a heart and mouth moment at that point, but thankfully no damage to the car from what we heard, no major damage to the tyres. Of course, they're going to be a little bit dirty now. But I think the main thing was it was just going to be a little bit more work for him to get further up the grid was all. Sergio Perez was struggling, though. He wasn't making the sort of inroads that I would expect him to do or expect the Red Bull to do, I guess, especially considering his performance in Austria. It wasn't able to translate into Silverstone. Lap four, when the DRS was enabled, he was still behind the horse and he got Hulkenberg. Hadn't been able to gain any places off the line, so I don't know whether he also had a bit of a poor start like Max and whether that had something to do with the car, but it wasn't looking promising at the start for him. But it is, like I said, this felt like a fairly chilled out race. Now, there was talk of there potentially being rain during the race, but nothing that really happened. Nothing came to fruition and I think George's race engineer got on the radio to him and said, look, yeah, there is rain forecast, but the radar says it's going to miss the circuit anyway. So that wasn't really a problem during the race for any of the drivers. By lap 10, though, we did have our first retirement of the race and Esteban Ocon's Alpine was asked to be brought back into the garage. His engineer did apologise over the radio about it. I think this is only the second time Esteban Ocon has had to DNF from the British Grand Prix. And the other time he retired was last year due to a fuel pump issue. So it was gutting for him. 
At the time, I think we didn't really know why Esteban was retiring. All we'd seen was his car going to the pit lane and then be wheeled into the garage. Later on, Alpine did confirm there was a hydraulics leak, so he was going to have to retire from the race. Lando Norris was then told fairly early on in the race after Max Verstappen had overtaken him that Oscar Piastri would be holding position. I don't think McLaren necessarily wanted to risk throwing away a double podium here for no reason. There's no point into getting in a scrap with your teammate, potentially damaging the cars if they come together and ruling you both out or giving a chance for the Ferraris to catch up and then overtake and losing those places like that. Would I prefer to have seen them being able to battle a little bit? Yes. I'm not saying that Oscar definitely would be able to catch up, but from a team's perspective, I can understand why he was told to keep position and not try and fight Lando. We had some slightly weird things go on with Ferrari strategy this race, which might not be a surprise to some people, but this one was really, really odd. Majority of the drivers had started on medium tyres, both Ferraris had, and the medium tyres were showing fairly good wear. On lap 19 though, about two or three laps before the pit window really opened for the medium tyres, Charles Leclerc had come in and put on the hard set of tyres. Now, I know Ferrari have issues with tyre deck, but it seemed in Austria at least that those tyre deck issues were slowly getting better, that the new set of upgrades they bought to the Ferrari were helping them with that tyre degradation issue. But even then, it still seemed a little bit strange to me because they must have had absolutely horrific degradation on Charles's car because you had George Russell in the Mercedes who was sandwiched between Charles and Carlos on the grid on a set of soft tyres. Mercedes had opted to put him on an alternative strategy and he was running fairly long into the race on those soft tyres. Mercedes had gotten on the team radio to Lewis to say, actually, you know what? The soft tyres are holding up really, really well, so you could probably push a bit more on the mediums. That's how well they were doing. And the pit window for those soft tyres was around lap 10. We were on lap 19, and George, from what we had seen on the TV, wasn't complaining of graining, about losing any grip. It was working out quite well for him. He had managed to get up to lap 29 before he had pitted for a set of medium tyres. That's 10 laps longer that he lasted on the soft tyres than Charles managed to do on the mediums. Like I said, just a really weird and I think it's just a bad strategy call. Can't solely be down to tyre degradation for that. That seems insane to me if their tyre deck is that bad and just on Charles's car. I don't think Charles was really pushing that much to get that much degradation so early on. We did have, like I said, George Russell pitting on lap 29, Oscar Piastri went into the pits to get some hard tyres on, Lando, by the sounds of it, was happy on his medium tyres, McLaren were happy with the pace that he was setting, I don't think they were too worried about bringing him in, but George did have a relatively slow stop, I think he was hoping to get ahead potentially of Charles Leclerc but just wasn't able to it was about 3.9 second stop so it was slow for Mercedes and they've had a couple of these slow pit stops it's really something that they need to work on and try and hone in on and then we had Kevin Magnussen around lap 33 stop on track now like I said he had stopped on track because he lost power during Q1 and I'm not entirely sure what happened with the engine but there was a fire coming out of his car when he had to stop on track. So Haas were facing some fairly serious issues on his side of the garage at least. 
it was just a nightmare weekend for him, bless him. Definitely one he's probably going to want to forget. But that did bring out a virtual safety car. And I think that was the point where we knew a load of the drivers, especially the ones on the mediums, were going to be going in to make use of the shortened pit stop time and get a new set of tyres on. So the top three all went into the pits. Max, Lando and Lewis all went in. Max and Lewis put on a set of used soft tyres. Lando had gone on for a set of new hard tyres. That safety car did mean that Lewis was able to come out ahead of Oscar and keep that P3. And I think that was really, really key for him. That safety car felt perfectly for him to pit and get ahead of a lot of the drivers that he was behind beforehand. Lando was not happy that he was on the hard tyres, though not when he knew that Max ahead of him was on some soft tyres and Lewis behind him was as well. And I think the main risk for him was from Lewis and that was what he was more concerned about. That didn't end up being a mass amount of issue, though. Lewis did try to fight Lando, but I think cut the tyres a bit too early on, lost a lot of grip and wasn't able to come back and keep fighting. And the Mercedes straight line speed compared to the McLaren's just wasn't there for him to get a good overtake in. Carlos Sainz, after that pit stop, looked like he was facing some issues. There were a good couple of cars that just managed to get past him fairly easily in a really short amount of time. He ended up losing three or four places. We had Checo go past him. We had Alex Albon go past him. We then had Charles Leclerc and the other Ferrari go past him. Gasly managed to get past him. It was just a bit of a mess. I'm not entirely sure what happened, whether the tyres went heated up quite well, whether he was losing grip on them whether he lost a little bit of power momentarily, but it was not a good period of the race for Carlos Sainz. Gasly, though, we saw in a replay, had had a bit of a tussle with Lance Stroll, had gone off and then was starting to slow down. He had to crawl back into the pits and it was a double DNF for the Alpine team. It was not a good race weekend for them. Lance did end up having a five-second time penalty for causing a collision with Pierre Gasly. Not the best race for Lance either. And to absolutely no one's surprise, Max Verstappen did win the British Grand Prix. And that is Red Bull's first win at the British Grand Prix since 2012. It's been a good couple of years. Lando then came in P2. Lewis, who definitely benefited from the safety car as well as just driving a really good race after having that off in turn three at the beginning, took P3 and we had the first double British podium since 1999. This podium marked Lewis Hamilton's 195th podium in F1, let's see if he can make it to 200 this year, and also marked his 14th podium at the Silverstone circuit. He holds the record for having the most amount of podiums at a circuit and to do that at your home race must have been such an incredible feeling. But having a quick run through just of some of the teams and how they fared over this weekend, I mean, Red Bull once again, so, so dominant on Max's side of the garage. I don't know who is going into an F1 race weekend without thinking Max isn't going to win. I don't think there's anyone close enough to compete with him right now potentially maybe at the end of the season we might see someone but I think if it's going to happen it will have to be a massive development over winter to really get anyone close to Red Bull so honestly whenever anyone asks me who do you think is going to win a Grand Prix it's just I'm saying Max there is genuinely no one else I think stands a chance in winning it at this point. McLaren I don't know what they've done to that car but it was so consistent so quick so powerful to get a P2 and a P4 at their home race on their 60th anniversary year, 
Lando Norris's home race. Phenomenal, phenomenal result for them. They were another team like Aston Martin that have just managed to jump up the standings, found something that they needed to do development-wise for the car, and have just gained lap time so quickly. Do I think this is going to be a consistent trend for them for the next couple of races? I don't know. I'm really, really not sure at this point. We've got Hungary and then Spa before summer break. We'll see how they fare there, especially with Ferrari, Mercedes, Aston Martin. I know Mercedes aren't done with upgrades this side of summer yet. Either Hungary or Spa, I think they're bringing a few more pieces that they're hoping gives them a little bit more lap time. And just in general, whether the McLaren car characteristics will suit the other two circuits. We're going to have to wait and see, but right now, They've just done a phenomenal job with those upgrades. It's working for them. The drivers are really happy with it. And that's both of the drivers. They're both very comfortable with these upgrades. And Zach Brown seems so chuffed. Mercedes! Ah, guys. This was a good race result for them. P3 and P5. There's no doubt about it. That was a really, really good race result for them. But... By Mercedes standards, by what Toto Wolf was hoping for, by what the team were hoping for, this wasn't great. And I think what's putting them on the back foot as well is that they're starting the weekend on the back foot. I know commentators and fans will say, look, they do make a mass amount of improvement between Friday and then going into Saturday, right? No doubt about that, they do. But you lose the chance of fine-tuning that car when you're already behind on a Friday because you're just having to make that massive jump to get the car into a better working window on Saturday. You can't fine-tune those little things that both the drivers would prefer for qualifying that might give them a few tenths here and there. Definitely was a good haul of points for them for both the constructors and the drivers' championship. But every time Mercedes make a step forward, there's just another team that has made another 10 steps forward. It was Aston Martin, looked like it could have been Ferrari for a little bit, now it's McLaren. So I think Mercedes are just going to have to keep trying to chip away and chip away to get that lap time in. Aston Martin, I can't figure out what's happened, guys. Didn't have a good quality. Alonso is in P7, and then Stroll finished in P14 with obviously that five-second time penalty. He would have finished a little bit higher up had it not been for that incident. But still not a wow result from them. Austria, I think a lot of people thought it was track-specific. I think Aston Martin were hoping it was going to be track-specific for them, that Silverstone would be a better outing. It is Aston's home race as well. But the race pace didn't seem to be there for them. Lewis dropped behind Alonso after taking an off in turn three at that opening lap. But it didn't seem the struggle to get past Alonso that he has had in previous races. And we've seen battles between Fernando and Lewis. But it didn't seem that hard this time. So I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. The upgrade's not working the way they would have wanted them to, which is disappointing. I think they were really hoping they would get closer to Red Bull with these upgrades, and it's not happening. Maybe it's still circuit-specific. Maybe Silverstone isn't a track that's suited to the car either, but they are losing out on crucial points for the Constructors' Championship. Alonso's missing out on crucial points to get second in the drivers. I think Perez is inching ahead just a little bit more now, and then Lewis is catching up with him a bit. So definitely something I think Aston Martin are going to go back to base with and try and figure out where they're losing that time. Williams, just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Alex Albon got into P8, so didn't lose or gain any places from where he ended up in quality, but absolutely phenomenal result from him. 
And to be fair to Logan Sargent, he didn't have a bad race either. Finished in P11, and I think that stroll penalty did help him. But still a very, very good race for him as a rookie. I think Williams has said this is basically the most they can get out of the car right now, especially considering the facilities they've had. James Viles has mentioned they're about 20 years out of date, and the cost cap era of F1 means that it's not easy for them to update everything either. But right now... I think they're a team that should be proud of what they've achieved so far. Ferrari had a interesting day at the office. I won't say it's bad. Both cars ended up in the points. Sure, it was P9 and P10, but it was the points. They said themselves, slight issue with strategy, but the race pace just wasn't there for them. Granted, they were the only team that didn't bring an upgrade into this race, so maybe that played against them, especially with every team around them having bought something but it just it was a tough day in the office for them I guess especially coming off that high of Austria they had such a good race in Austria but it looked like that was track specific for them characteristics of Austria really worked to the strength of their car and there were mixed messages coming out of Ferrari anyway Charles Leclerc had been quite open and candid during his press conference saying look Austria was definitely a great race for us and I'm really happy with the result but Silverstone is going to expose our weaknesses. So he wasn't expecting a whole load from the British Grand Prix. But Ferrari themselves were saying, yeah, well, we think it's going to be a good race. I don't think it's going to be too bad. So mixed messages. Can't lie, I was more inclined to believe Charles Leclerc and he seemed to be right. Whatever issues that Ferrari is having, Silverstone just really showed what was going wrong with that car. Now, hopefully they can use that information to work on upgrades that will help those weaknesses. But tough day for Ferrari and for Ferrari fans. AlphaTauri's upgrades didn't seem to be making a huge amount of difference. P16 and P17, there were only 17 cars running by the end of the race. So they were the last of the runners. They seem to be a little bit lost with this car and when Yuki was asked right what's wrong with it what needs to be improved he said everything everything was wrong everything needed to be improved there wasn't really an area that they were showing any strength in I'm hoping with Laurent Mechies coming in and out next year that we might see a bit more direction a bit more drive and an upwards trajectory for AlphaTauri potentially something like how James Vowles has helped Williams. It's just not looking good for them. I don't think we're going to be seeing a whole load from them this season. For the rest of the season, I'm not sure how much they're really going to be able to improve from where they are right now. I'm going to finish off with LP really, because that was a nightmare for them. They are just struggling it's inconsistency with Alpine and that's been the story of the last couple of years for them to be honest with you it's been inconsistency we've seen amazing races from them Estes managed to get a podium Pierre's been close to podiums they've qualified well before but it's not consistent that car is temperamental they have reliability issues there's just a lot going on there. I don't think Alpine have a terrible race car. Inconsistency and reliability right now seem to be their main issues and it's something that they need to look at and work on, especially considering that McLaren seem a lot stronger now. I'm still quite surprised at how well McLaren did. I can't lie to you. I didn't think 
it was going to really translate too well on race day. I didn't think they'd really be able to keep up with Red Bull. I thought they might get a little bit swamped by Ferrari, get a little bit of battle in between them and the Mercedes, especially with Oscar. But like I said, wherever they've done to that car, they've done very, very well. And they're reaping the benefits and the rewards of that now. I honestly think McLaren are the team of the weekend. It all worked out so, so well for them, even at a point where I thought, that hard tire strategy at the end is not going to work out well for them. They made it work. Lovely, lovely points for the team and a lovely podium for Lando to have in front of his home crowd. Your driver of the day was Lando Norris. I'm absolutely not surprised at that. I think I'm going to give it to Oscar Piastri though for me. As a rookie driver to be fighting up there for podium positions, but he kept his cool, kept his head down, drove an excellent race, didn't falter at all. He had a faultless weekend didn't seem to crack under the pressure seemed to really just enjoy where he was where the car was take it all in and I'm quite excited to see if that McLaren does well just what he can do in it and bear in mind he didn't have a seat last year he wasn't consistently driving he wasn't like rookies that come up straight from F2 he had a year off from driving and then got into the McLaren and has pulled out an absolutely stellar performance here so my driver of the day is Oscar Piastri. There is no racing next week. I will be back with a podcast episode, but F1 is taking a break next week. And then we head to Budapest, the Hungaroring in Hungary for the Hungarian Grand Prix. That was a lot of Hungary-based words. There's a lot that we're going to be looking forward to at Hungary. Is McLaren going to be able to keep up this trajectory? Is Mercedes bringing any upgrades to this race? I'm genuinely not sure whether it's this one or Spa. Can Ferrari get back into fighting form? Can Aston Martin? How are Williams going to do? Thank you guys so, so much for listening and deal from there. Make sure that you follow me on TikTok, on Instagram, and I am now on threads at stewards underscore office. You can find me across all three platforms with that name. And I will see you guys next time you're summoned to the stewards office. <laughs>